So this morning, I want to just continue on knowing God. And uh, J.D. preached a lovely message last week, Know God, Know Yourself. And um, true humility, biblical humility. Biblical humility is not groveling. It's not beating yourself down. Biblical humility is not low self-esteem. Biblical humility is this. It's knowing God and knowing who you are in Him. Also knowing who you are without Him. But knowing who you are in Him. That's true humility. Is that okay? It's, in other words, it's knowing your identity. So um, I want to just do it. So it's the fourth part, but uh, my message, it's uh, knowing God part three. Is that okay? It's really interesting that uh, we started off the year with a prophetic word that it was, um, needs to be a year of power and purpose, principle, and prayer. And I spoke about the fact that spiritual power, in my last message, spiritual power comes from knowing God. We talked about knowing God well, or knowing God intimately, or knowing God personally. And we need a relationship with God to understand. You know that the more you understand God, the more sense His principles make. The more you understand God and know God, the more sensible giving is. The more you know God, the more wisdom there is in forgiving people. You know, knowing God is, is at the core, it's at the heart of Christianity. You know, God is an ambiguous term in a sense. It became more personal when Jesus came because then he became our father. This incredible God became our father. But still, he's invisible and unseen. And because we are physical, finite, limited people, we needed to see God with skin on him. We needed to see him in action. And that's why Jesus came. He came to reveal the Father. And a lot of people think that there's a difference in the character and the nature of God. It was preached that way many, years, many, many years ago. But there's an essential difference in the character of God, in the nature of God, you know, different to Jesus. God was the, you know, like good cop, bad cop. You know, Jesus was the good cop and God was the bad cop. You know, he was the mean, judgmental God. But that's not the truth. When Jesus came, he came to absolutely so specifically and accurately reveal God to us that he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. So in other words, the Father wept at the tomb of Lazarus. The Father embraced the lepers. The Father touched the funeral bier of the widow of Nain's son. It was the Father because Jesus said, I only do, I only even, the things that I speak, the very words, they're the Father speaking. So if you want a very clear image of the Father, get a clear image of Jesus. Look at Jesus, okay? So when I talk about knowing God, obviously we're talking about knowing God through the Lord Jesus. Is that all right? And uh, we started off somewhere in Daniel chapter 11 in verse 32 and um, talking about Daniel giving a very accurate prophecy from 9, 10, and 11 of what was going to happen to the people of God literally right up until the time Jesus came. And he was prophesying empires coming, empires falling. And then in the one chapter, and it could be this chapter 11, he gave an accurate prophecy. But in the midst of it, in fact, as it went on, it would get even more wicked. Because, you know, after the Assyrian, the Medo-Persian Empire would come, the kingdom of King Alexandria... And that would then split up and, and, you know, that Greek rulers would continue before the time of the coming of Rome. And uh, somewhere from the early 200s into sort of the mid-160s, 164 around there, there was a king and it was Hellenistic or Greek. And there was a ruler by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God made manifest. Yeah. Some people called him. Ifemani in Greek, which means the mad one. <laughs> so he thought he was God manifest, and people going, no, this guy's a bit dilly. And again, all of these kingdoms, it was in their relationship to the people of God and how they would oppress and, and whatever, you know, invade, destroy, pillage, plunder, and things like this, the people of God. And very specifically, this verse in Daniel eleven thirty two is a prophecy about a certain group of Jews who stood up against Antiochus Epiphanes because he came in, he plundered Israel, the people of God, Judea, and he even came in, plundered the temple, 
He even desecrated the temple where he came in and he sacrificed a pig on the altar to one of their gods, Zeus, and totally desecrated it. And in very many respects, this is what Daniel prophesied about the abomination of desolation. And so it was a desecration of the temple of the Jews. And so there was a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus who stood up and then people gathered around him and they became called the Maccabeans. And then that led to the Maccabean revolt. And they revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes and fought him off. A small band of people who knew God, kept to his principles, loved God. And God gave them phenomenal success against this wicked king. He was reigning in the area of Syria at that time. And this prophecy, this prophecy pertains in particular exactly to the Maccabeans. But by the same token, it is also a general principle for all believers that the people that know their God shall be strong, the King James says, and shall do great exploits. And so the NIV I like because it says the people who know their God, one translation says will stand firm and resist him. This one says will firmly resist him. So come on church, the more we know God, the more powerful we become, the stronger, the more firm we can stand, the more we are able to resist evil, to resist temptation, but it goes back to a knowledge of God. Are we all good? Did that help you a little bit? And so we need to understand this. You know that God is looking for His people to know Him and to know Him well. I mentioned it last week that, you know, even Paul at the end of his ministry in Philippians 3.10 said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Right at the end of his life, he says, man, I just want to know God. I like what Hebrews 11 says, verses 32 to 34, about these kind of men, like Judas Maccabeus, these kind of people, and he lists a whole lot through the Old Testament and says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Listen to this. Who through faith conquered kingdoms. Come on, isn't that awesome? Come on, say, with my faith, I can conquer a kingdom. So, I mean, how many of you know, if that's what is said about faith, you can conquer your issues. You can conquer your debt. You can conquer your lack. We can overcome as far as sickness is concerned. If, we can con- if a person, a man could conquer a kingdom through faith, I mean, we can take on the kingdom of darkness, can't we? That's why I don't believe in an individual antichrist that will hold the world to ransom and the church will be powerless going, Jesus, rescue us in the rapture. Take us out of here. Because one person by faith can conquer the kingdom of darkness. Amen? And so they administered justice and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness, listen, was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Come on, someone, someone, I got goosebumps. Someone should be able to say amen at this. Come on. So that means that same faith, because Peter says, like precious faith as theirs has been given to us. I mean, surely you can overcome injustice. Amen. Come on, say I can. I can. So knowing God. What is the result of knowing God and knowing God better and re- knowing God intimately? What is the result? Now, there's a lot of results, and it's a very broad subject, but I want to just confine it to the essence this morning, and then, you know, the rest you will be able to fill in. The first reason that knowing God is important because He's worth knowing because He's a wonderful okay. being. Yeah. Is that right? I mean, He's just the most loving, gracious, kind, just the most amazing being. Yeah. Knowing God, you know, To know Him is to love Him. You know, a lot of people try and deepen their love for God. What they need to do is deepen their knowledge of God. Because when you know Him, you'll love Him. Is everybody following me? Okay. And so, the first thing that Daniel tells us is that the knowledge of God produces strength. Those that know their God shall be strong. I think in light of the past two years, and maybe your struggle wasn't COVID-related, Maybe your struggles in the past two years were more exacerbated, became 
worse because of COVID. But maybe, you know, whatever it is that you went through, you know, 160, 180 people, there's 180 different sets of issues that we faced this year. You know, it's all unique to us. And sure, COVID didn't help. We were chatting to people this week, and, you know, they were saying money is not everything. And then Bev replied, and she said, you know, but, you know, when you're struggling, money sure helps. You know? Money doesn't make you happy. Yeah, but it goes a long way. (laughs) Try and be happy and broke. It's very difficult, isn't it? So sometimes we make these Christian cliches, you know, and um, I think it's one of the Proverbs that says money answers all things. And so as long as money doesn't have us, we have them, and we have the finest. Money does help. Are you good? And so, but it gives us strength. It gives us power. And in this world, we need that strength and we need that power. So now I'm not going to talk about the necessity of the word. I want us to take that for granted. Everybody say the word. I'm not going to talk very much about the power that we gain from prayer because I'm taking that for granted. Everybody say prayer. I'm not going to talk about worship. Everyone say worship. And I'm not going to talk about the necessity of the fellowship with the saints. Church. Everybody say church. is important. And so, you know, it's important for us to be in church. We've got to be here. You know, it's a command from God, not an option. A lot of people read God's commands as God's options. You know, you can do this if you feel like it, if your arms are not too tired. You know, you can do it. But they're instructions. They're commands. They're not just suggestions. You know, a lot of people, with the way they drive on the road, a red robot and a stop street is a suggestion. And they don't get the hint because they just do not observe them. So how is it that I want to talk about this morning? How is it that the knowledge of God produces strength or produces power? And in some words in the Bible, the word is might, that people are mighty in God. Now, let's have a look at it. Let's take a few minutes and let's go through it. So knowing God makes us strong. Is that all right? Now, how many of you want to be strong rather than weak? We know that here, that verse in Hebrews 11, that though they were weak, God turned their weaknesses into strength. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Is that right? So knowing God produces strength. Why? Number one, I'm going to talk about the power of His presence. So there's two aspects to this, the power of His presence. I mean, this is amazing. His presence. His presence. His presence makes you powerful. You know that when people get around you, they will begin to experience His presence because He is with you. Is that all right? And Jesus said it, you know. He said in Matthew 28, in verse 20, you know, talked about going into all the world. And he said, and don't be afraid because I'm with you even until the end of the age. And that end of the age for the disciples was the end of their world under Roman conquest. So he had already said, you're going to go through really bad stuff and you're going to be handed over Um, And brought before governors, but don't be afraid, I'll give you words. So the end of the age wasn't just, I'll be with you until one day you close your eyes in this world. He was saying, I'm going to be with you through all the stuff I've been telling you that's going to happen. He had been telling them in Matthew 24 about the things that was going to happen. And so what Jesus was saying, I mean, I've told you all that stuff, but hey, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Because that age ended, then the new age came. Is that right? That's our age the age of the New Testament. So his presence. So the thing that I want to just talk about, the first part of this is his present presence. I hope that makes sense, but if not, I'm going to try and make sense of it now. His present presence. And that's what I was talking about in Matthew 28. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. One of the things that Jesus came to reveal about the Father was which he took on in a name, and that was Emmanuel, God is with us. Is that okay? Elisha, servant Gehazi, you know, when surrounded by, the, I think it was by the Syrians, and he said, go out and have a look. God opened his eyes, looked in the mountains, and he saw more are with us than are with them. I tell you, it's a great comfort to know. There's two aspects to this. But it's a great comfort for you to know that wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you face, God is with you. 
It's one of the things that Jesus said, John 14, John 15, John 16, and in John 16, he said, the Holy Spirit who comes, he will not only be in you, but he will be with you. It's two different aspects of God's presence, and we need both. So he's with us. He's with us. He's present presence. In other words, he's present in his presence. He's with us. My goodness, this is awesome. There have been many times I was so grateful that God was with me. You know, I was nearly one of those Zimbabweans that was kicked out of this country for not having the correct paperwork. I was nearly one of those. But I had done it the right way. But I'd been to the South African embassy in Harare, Zimbabwe, and they said to me, there's just not enough time but I'll tell you what, we'll give you a visa to get into South Africa. And when you get there, go to the Civitas building and you speak to Mr. W- and gave me a person's name. And I remember walking there very confidently. And there is this multi-story building. And I walked in. And uh, because I was English and not Afrikaans, and because I was from Zimbabwe and not South African, this man came down when I was asking for an appointment and started swearing at me and uh, told me in uncertain terms that as a foreigner, I should go back to my home country. But I remembered the name of the person that the, the person in Harare had told me to see. And I just looked at him. I mean, I was quite shocked at the tirade of the language that came out. And then I said, can I please speak to Mr. So-and-so? And he turned around and said, make an appointment, with, you know, phone whoever. And they phoned him and they said, look, I can't see you, but um, come back next week and give me a particular time. I remember going back the following week and I stood outside the building. It was an unpleasant experience that I'd had. But I remember standing and looking at this building and suddenly a flood of supernatural confidence came over me when I realized God is with me. I walked in there like I was the president's son. Not in arrogance, but just such confidence and calmness. And I said, I have an appointment with it. And in no time, I had all my paperwork done. It's a confidence to know God is with us. Is that okay? When you face danger, God is with us. The day the man put the gun through the window on my heart and was trying to shoot me. I mean, I had no fear, no post-traumatic stress disorder syndrome, no nothing. Because I knew in that moment, God is with me. Is that right? I love it what Neddy said. Brother Neddy was just telling me the one time when he was hitchhiking a ride and this taxi pulled over and he had drawn some money. God had told him to sow an amount to me as a seed and he was coming to give it to me. And then he had drawn a much lesser amount for another pastor and he wrote on it, Pastor. And uh, when he got into this taxi, he got in and he said, when he sat in the, co- in the taxi and they pulled off, he <laughs> suddenly realized, Oops, I've made a mistake, you know. And uh, it was like, and he said, every one of them pulled guns out, the woman included. It was like a gangster taxi. And you'll never guess what. They were playing praise and worship. Figure that one out. And so they all pulled guns out. And then the one person near, because he turned around, was like, (laughs) I made a mistake. They punched him in the face. He fell on the floor. And uh, he said, then they opened his bag and they said, Eh, Mfundis, Pastor, you blessed us today. And started pulling out all these thousands of rands and, and opening the envelopes. They said, Eh, surely God has blessed us today. And they're all praising God, the thugs, with worship music going. They got guns on him. And I said, Were well, you scared? They eventually stripped him naked and uh, took everything. And um, they were heading out for KZN. So they picked him up here, just on the Great North Road here by the engine. They dropped him near Heidelberg and said, don't look at the vehicle, just keep walking. So he had to walk naked through the fields and found a farm, and he was like, knocked on the door, please, I just need to use a phone to get a lift. So they gave him some clothes, and he managed to get hold of someone to come and get him. I asked him, he was scared, he said, Pastor John, I knew absolutely that they were not going to shoot me. I knew 100%. Because God told me, you will not die by a bullet. He said, I had absolute peace. He said, but then some of them pulled knives. And he said, God had not said anything about knives. So so he said, I'm praying. Oh, Jesus, I didn't think about a knife. Not a knife, Jesus. Not a knife. Please, please, Jesus, don't, don't let them stab me. But the knowledge of 
God is with us. Amen? So the second part of his presence is his indwelling presence. This one here, his presence with us, gives us confidence. How many of you know that the righteous are as bold as a lion? That one gives us confidence. The indwelling presence, man, this is so awesome. All of these overlap. We separate them for the sake of teaching. But his indwelling presence, it's Christ within, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in other words, it's Christ in me because he is glory. When Christ comes in me, I am glorified. Is that okay? I have glory. And you know, the more I'm in Christ, the more I'm glorified and transformed into his presence. I love 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You all know this. So here's your dad speaking, spiritual dad. And I'm looking at every one of you, and I'm repeating what John said to his little children. He said, you are of God, little children. And he says, and you have overcome them. Those who are not the children of God, and primarily the devil, he says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, it's not necessarily referring to the devil. What it is, it's referring to people who haven't come to the faith of Christ, people still under the law. He was referring to the Jews. Is that okay? And he was saying, greater is he that is in you. So I just want to tell you, and it's not an arrogant thing, the greater one lives on the inside of you that makes you greater than what you were when you were a natural person when you did not know Jesus. Is that okay? So come on, just say greatness is within. All right? Because you're great. Is that okay? So really, again, again, if you know God and you know these things, you shall be strong and shall do great exploits. So there's that indwelling presence. We are inseparably united with Christ. You cannot find where he ends and you begin or you end and he begins. Is that okay? We are in total union with Christ. The ancient theologians would refer to it as the mystical union. How is it that here I am as an individual human being, but in some incredible, by some incredible mystery, I am in total union with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have him indwelling my spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. We'll put it in the King James. But listen, this is powerful. I was reading it again yesterday. I started on Friday, and I was reading this, and I was like, oh, my word, oh, my word. I would like to just one day just take these verses and just preach a sermon on these verses. The Apostle Paul says, the NIV, says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. What did he say? The Father. From whom the whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. So we're going to read from verse 14. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Listen, he's talking about the family on earth and the family in heaven. In other words, all those who've died in Christ and gone on before us right the way back to Adam, basically. He said that's the family in heaven. And Paul says this whole family, that in heaven and this on earth, we derive our name from God. So now there's two aspects to this. Because he's saying, I kneel before the Father. So the family, we are surnamed after God, and that is we are sons. But there's another aspect to this, because name represents the nature, the character. And so when he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven on earth derives its name, he's saying, you derive their character. Woo! Come on, just say, I have the name of God. Say, I have his nature. I have his characteristics. And he says, and I pray that out of his glorious riches, listen to this, listen to this. You've got to listen to this. Maybe I'm going to switch to the King James. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, not your glory, not another glory, his glory. And that he will do this in accordance with the riches of his glory, which is limitless, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. You see, if Christ is dwelling in you, you are strengthened with might in the inner man. That's why you can stand. That's why you can stand firm. And he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power 
together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp what is, I mean, listen to this. The saints, what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height? That's not the dimensions of the love of God. That's the dimensions of maturity and perfection, okay? Then he goes on to say in verse 19, last verse, he says, and to know the love of Christ. Listen to this. Which passes knowledge, listen to this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Come on, church. Come on, just give me an amen. Imagine you're filled with all the fullness of God. You really are. It's just we don't have the knowledge of it. When you get the knowledge of the understanding of it, what is it going to result in? Might and power in the inner man. Christ dwelling in you richly. Come on, you will walk past people and they'll get healed, man. Come on, you'll speak to people and they'll get blessed. Is that okay? You know, I'm just so excited about it because God is doing something amazing for me personally. Something amazing is happening. And I, you know, Prophet William Undi is put on these meetings because he said he had a vision, like a dream vision in the night before he phoned me. And he said, in this vision, I saw you arrive at our church in the parking and I went out to meet you. And he says, I met you and I greeted you and we walked in together into the church. And when you walked in, he said, life and increase exploded in the church. Amen. Amen. So Saturday night, he's invited a whole lot of pastors and ministers because he believes it's the days of increase. So do I. Amen. Amen. So come on, church. You'll be around people. You'll speak to people. And something will happen to them. And it's like, you know, years ago, years ago, it was... A couple in this church, and the, the husband smoked heavily, and he smoked a pipe, and all this kind of thing. And he realized one day that every time I was with them, he didn't have any inclination or desire to smoke. So he came up with a devious plan. He reckoned, if I can get John with me long enough, I'll kick the habit. So he phoned and he said, you know, we're going away for the weekend. Please, could we take you and Bev and the kids? We'll pay for everything. You come with us for the weekend. I said, great. It was a public holiday weekend. I think it was the Monday. And we're, we're, it was nearing time to pack up. And we were laying on the grass looking at the dam in front of us. We'd caught a whole lot of nice trout and stuff like this. And uh, he said, I used you this weekend. I said, what? Really? He said, yes, I used you. Then he told me the story. He said, from the time we left till now, he said, I haven't craved cigarette or pipe, not even this much. And to this day, he's free. Yes. To this day. Yes. Amen. Amen. What is that? Come on, it's power in the inner man. Come on, you can shake somebody's hand and they can get free. I need you to say amen to these things because I want you to acknowledge the truth because my whole purpose in sharing this message is just to bring a greater understanding, greater knowledge of who you are in Christ Jesus. I remember being with a great prophet once and a very powerful man, great miracles and things like this. And I was sitting there when somebody was with him and he said, man of God, I don't know if I've got demons or not. So he said, fine, let's see. And he just took him by the hand. I said, no, you haven't. He said, because... If you had, the moment I touched your hand, they would have manifest. And it's true. They would have. Look at the person next to you and say, you're awesomely powerful, man. So number one, his presence, his indwelling presence. Can you imagine God in your spirit, God in his fullness? Number two. The second is the power of his nature. It's an extension of this, but I just need to put it in. So let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 4 says this. Seeing that his divine power, everyone say his divine power, has granted to us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge. Everyone say true knowledge. So how do we get to that? True knowledge of him. Of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Some translations say he's called us to his own glory and excellence. In other words, to become like him. Well, that's true because he goes on. He says, for by these, what? His divine power, the knowledge, his great and precious promises. He said he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. 
So, you know, a lot of times people teach that, you know, we've got two natures in us, and they'll use the white wolf and the black wolf, and they'll use the, the good one and the bad one, and, you know, the one you feed is the one that rules and reigns. And, you know, there's an element of truth in it, but since you got born again, you've only got one nature. That's his nature. Paul says the old man was crucified. Not his father, your old man, okay? Your old self was crucified, was put to death, it was buried. You were raised with him, resurrected, implanted into the likeness, not only of his death, but the likeness of his life. Come on, church. You know, you can't carry on saying to your wife, no, I'm sorry I'm moody, but that's the way I am. No, no, you, that's not the way, that's the way you were. Come on, that was crucified. That was dead and buried. Come on, the greater one lives in you. Come on, you've got his divine nature. Yeah, I tell you. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. And he's talking about the day of evil. We've had two years of evil, the day of evil, called COVID and all the machinations and the things that are going on behind. But Paul says this to the Philippians, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. Listen to this. Oh, man. And in the power of his might. Yeah. I mean, you can't spell it out in a better way. In the power of his might, be strong in the Lord. And we know this verse 11, he says that when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand and having done all, stand. But the, we know, we know that that, is the, and putting on the whole armor of God, is putting on Christ. The breastplate of righteousness, that is his righteousness. The belt of truth, that's his truth. Is that right? The shield of faith, that's his faith. The helmet of the hope of salvation, that's the salvation he's given us. The shoes, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The sword is his word. Come on, churches, put on Christ and understand who you are in Christ. You'll be strong on the day of evil. So listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16. Not only do we have him in our spirit, but he's, he so indwells us so fully that Paul says we have the mind of Christ. I mean, that's incredible. And the more, the more you know him, the more you are filled with him, the more you have his mind. You understand the way he thinks, and you think like he thinks, and you act like he acts, and you talk like he talks. I want to talk about, that. so his nature, you've got it. Number three, I want to talk about the power of his fruit. In other words, the fruit of our spirit that results from having his nature. I don't need to tell you about the power of love. You know, pop singers sing about it, the power of his love. All that we need, you know, is love. And love makes the world go round and all that kind of thing. I mean, even the world out there knows the incredible power that love has. Even the world out there, they make movies about it, that good triumphs over evil. That love conquers hate. Forgiveness is greater than bitterness. Amen? That's why Nelson Mandela was such a statesman, because he went for forgiveness and for reconciliation. And that contributed greatly to the healing of our nation. Is that okay? And so, you know, love is... First Corinthians 13, it says love never fails. Love doesn't fail. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Love conquers. I used to walk around with Mama Charlotte Cronk, and it would absolutely fascinate me. She would just walk up into the street and just walk up and hug. And you know, a big Afrikaans man is normally very conservative. And especially in public, by a little tubby American lady. She was as wide as she was high. Full of love. And she would walk up, and she would just have this word of knowledge about this person in the street. And she would just put her arms out, and she says, come here, my darling. And you would see this perfect stranger, this big guy, you know, probably played rugby and whatever. You can, a strong man. And the tears would just well up and start streaming down his face, and he'd put his arms out a couple of steps away from her and walk up and hug her. And then she would start praying. And I, I watched this happen over and over again, the incredible power of love. One day she phoned, and uh, she was here at the hotel, and she said, oh, I want you to come and have breakfast with me. The waiters and waitresses would all queue, and they'd all fight to serve her. Because she'd say, oh, my darling, how are you? Are you okay, my love? 
and that others would get neglected. <laughs> Every now and then the manager had to come out and go, because they all wanted to cure their table because the love was irresistible. And um, so I was sitting with her, and I was facing her, and she was facing down this long passageway. And there was a flight stewardess walking up from quite far. And she came walking, and uh, I was talking with Mama Charlotte, and she was looking at me, and then she looked like that, and then she looked back, and then she looked back again. And um, so I turned around, and here came this flight stewardess, not looking at us or anything like this. She was going somewhere. And as she came near, Mama Charlotte just leant over, put her hand out like this, and looked at her and said, Hello, my darling. And the stewardess just started weeping. And as she took about her hand and said, Come here, my darling, and just pulled her down and put her on her shoulder and just started ministering to her prophetically. A couple of days later, she phoned me and she said, We're still here at the hotel. So I said, oh, I thought you were supposed to have left. She said, no, the manager phoned me. The manager phoned me and said, I am aware that these cues of our staff outside the door of your room all day and right into the evening. And he said, I don't know what you're doing, lady. He said, but I would like you to stay at three extra days on the Holiday Inn Hotel on us all expenses paid, and please will you keep doing what you're doing because you do not know you have brought such unity and healing between the two major different cultures because there were a lot of Zulus and an equal amount of Kosa in the hotel and said you've healed, you've healed the rift between those two tribes. Please will you stay. Because of love. We will get a revelation of his love. The gospel would be easy. I don't need to continue too much on this, the power of the fruit, but what about his joy? You know, when the people were weeping, when they heard the reading of the law, Nehemiah said to them, don't weep anymore. The joy of the Lord is your, come on, say it. It's your strength. How many of you have found that when you're down, depressed, anxious, you are physically weak? You're emotionally exhausted. The joy of the Lord is your? I like, uh, there was a, a hymn we used to sing in the olden days. I'm sure Halga knows it. In the olden days. <clears throat> no, no, but Halga... Halga and I were taught it by our parents. We were born in the new era, and we just happened to know them because we heard the old people always singing it. They one about, since Jesus came into to my heart, floods of joy or my soul like the sea billows roll. Jesus came into my heart. You know, and there's a lot of truth. You know what I mean? They almost sounded corny and that's kind of things. My mom used to sing it to me. That's how come I know it. But there is a truth in it. Since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy over my soul like the sea billows roll since Jesus came into my heart. I mean, everything connected with righteousness in the Bible, goes on to peace, and then the very next one is joy. Christians should be the happiest people on the face of the earth because of all the aforementioned. Come on. Don't say amen. Let me see a smile, and a giggle would be even better. Okay. So the next one, and then I'm going to just push it to a close. Number four is the power of his principles. Oh, my word. The power of his principles. And in a way, I'm going to contradict something that J.D. said last week because I went and looked at it. I preached it up until now the way that J.D. preached it, and that's probably why he preached it like that. And you can preach it like that, but just more accurately, I want to talk about the fact. Let's come to that. We'll come to that now. But I just want to read Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. He says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. 
Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight in, declares the Lord. So if we boast about anything, let's boast about knowing him. And that we are known of him. Is that okay? And then he goes on to talk about you know, characteristics of his nature, principles that God lives by and that he expects us to live by. And he says, I delight in these things, that you know me and that you live accordingly. Is that okay? And that's what makes us powerful. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, J.D. read it to us last week. Paul, when he was talking about the thorn in the flesh that he was given, he said three times to the Lord, please take it away from him. And Jesus said this, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Is that all good? Say amen. You know, it's not a setup. It's not a setup. So Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Woo! Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. I'm going to just pause there. That is in verse 10. And, um, and I'm going to just show you biblically what Paul was talking about. But the fact is, we can expand it a little bit and say this, is that, that I, you know, I'm a slightly insecure person. And I tend a little bit more towards introversion. I'm talking about myself. But God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. So what you're seeing is him, not me. No, but seriously, seriously. I mean, that was my weakness. But what it caused me to do was to depend more heavily on God. And so God would show up despite my insecurity, despite my fears, despite my anxiety. I would stand up, gut up, preach the word. Press into the Holy Spirit. God would move. And I knew that I had nothing to do with that service. It was God. Is that okay? So yes, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. But Paul was specifically talking about 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10. He says this. Let me show you what his weaknesses were. He says, therefore, I'm well content with weakness. Yes, the weaknesses. What are they? Insults. Distresses persecutions, and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So what was Paul saying? Man, I go through some stuff. You know, probably in our words, he would have said, Ish, it's been a tough year this month. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Isn't it amazing? We all think that we've had the worst lives, eh? And Paul is saying, hey, you know, <laughs> I mean, read it. Yeah. Whipped, you know, 39 Strokes, I don't know how many times, shipwrecked in hungers and then, you know, in fastings oft. The reasons why he fasted often because there was no food, he turned it into a fast. He turned it into something positive. And Paul was saying, hey, you know, for insults and, and all of these kinds of things, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions. And he says, I will give glory to God. I will, I will revel in all of that stuff. Because I've discovered, in those weaknesses, I discover the strength of God. Amen? Amen. So what makes you strong in spirit? Less complaining about those weaknesses, more glorifying God. Is that okay? And so, his principles. His principles are also this. His principles are also, when you are spoken evil of, you only speak good. When you are cursed, you bless. If you have an enemy, you love him. If someone does you an injustice, you do them a kindness. Is that okay? Those are the principles of God. Those are only some of the principles of God. But those things are powerful. How many of you know a forgiving person is more powerful than a bitter person? A loving person is much more powerful than a hating person. That's why meekness is more powerful than pride and arrogance because meekness is actually strength under control. It takes more of a man to be humble than to be arrogant. That's what everybody does. And so the principles of God make you powerful. You know that 
you could, when we talk about the principles of God, the principles of God are, are many and varied, and we need to study the Word and know what His principles are. The fifth thing is something that I've called the power of godliness. I'll just say His godliness. Now, all of these overflow. Are you getting something? Okay, this makes you strong. Because a person who practices the principles of God is that and other things are, are godly people. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He's talking about as we come closer to AD 70 and the end of this age, people are going to betray one another, and they would basically betray each other like to the Romans and things like that. They would sell out each other. And The amazing thing is that he also talks about that there would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is that not interesting? I believe that we're in a time that is similar. We're not near the end of an age. We're not close to a rapture. But we're in similar times where people are more lovers of pleasure than lovers of God. I want to read you something that John Stott, I think it is John Stott says. I mean, he's an incredible Bible teacher. Basically, one of the things that he says is that, that a lot of people would rather have their weaknesses taken away, in other words, their distresses, in leisure, rather than having the weaknesses and knowing the love of God or falling in love with God. And so very often, the church has changed its message to basically say, you know, God doesn't want you to go through difficulties and distresses and things like that. So let me read what he says. One of the reasons biblical Christianity has been so drastically distorted is in order to sell it to the masses. The market wants power to escape weakness in leisure, but Christianity offers power to endure weakness in love. Verse 9 tells us, you know, Jesus said, and he says, this doesn't sell well with a lot of Christians. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in the weakness. What the market wants, the world wants, is escape from weakness, not power in weakness. But to meet that felt need in the market to the masses, the message has to be distorted, and it often is. The grace that Jesus was offering Paul was to make affliction livable. Everybody say amen. Amen. Okay. So then the power of godliness, I'm going to just close like this. So Paul says to Timothy, he says, there'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So there's a power in godliness, a godly lifestyle, living God's principles, doing it God's way. There's an, an immeasurable, impactful power in just being godly, without laying hands on the sick recovering, without having words of knowledge and prophecy, being godly. Godliness has an influence. Is that okay? And then lastly, power of godliness. Someone just recently was just asking me some of the background of my life, and I went right back to dot, you know, year whatever. And I just began to share with them my life. And, and one of the things that I shared with them, because one of the things they were asking me, you know, how long have you known all that? How long have you been a Christian? I said, from as long as I remember. Have you ever tempted not to? And have you always known that you'll be a pastor? Was there any time ever in your life, even in the hardest time, that you were ever tempted to give up? And I said, no, 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 no. And I was relating all the, you know, all the tough times and all the hard stories, you know? I'll spare you the details. And she just looked at me and she said, that's unbelievable. She said, what you've been through. She said, and look at what you've accomplished and what you're doing. She said, it's remarkable. You see, now, you see, I know that's not me. I know it's him. But one of the things that we talked about is when I was in the army in Zims and I was with a lot of Philistines, you know. I mean, they were Philistines of note, you know. And because I was the only one that was always sober, I was the one that was sent to the main barracks to get my military license. And I got military license, which was nice because I could drive the troop-carrying vehicles, and, and I, it was nice. I was speeding around in an F-250 and all nice things. The Land Rover, the Army Land Rover, yes, it was lacquer. And none of them could drive it. 
Those senior in rank to me had to ask me, please, can you take us? <laughs> so I got to do some lacquer jewels because I was always sober. And, uh, of course, they liked going out jawling, you know. And so there were times when I'd have to scrape them up off the floor and pour them into the back of the Land Rover and drive them back to base where they were moodless, drunk, you know, whatever the other sayings are. And then I'd have to help them out. And most times I'd have to take their camo off and change them because they'd messed themselves. They were, I mean, paralytic drunk. And then just put them in their beds, tuck them in, kiss them goodnight. Not, no, no. <laughs> put them in bed and all of that kind of thing. And they tried everything. In fact, probably the roughest brawler, Sergeant Joe Wiper, threatened me in a pub packed with people to drink. And the whole pub went quiet and they looked because he said, if you don't take this and drink, I'm going to use a lot of words with Fs and Bs and things like, you know, <laughs> foreign language, you know. And I just leaned back, folded my arms, and I said, hit, Joe. I said, hit, but you, I said, I won't drink. And that day he changed. And he said, now I know that you really believe in what you stand for. And uh, from that moment, the attitudes of everybody changed. And before we went out anywhere that was dangerous, they were all in a queue at my tent. <laughs> Talking about the Lord and eternal things, you know. The same New Testament, they would tear pages out and roll their dacha in their zol into smoke. The few pages that are left, now they're reading. You know. The power of godliness. Come on, say, if I'm godly, I'm powerful. Now, the last one that I want to just share with you, and this you could probably add many more, is the power of his leading. The power that his leading gives you. And his leading can bring you into victory. His leading can bring you into success. His leading, the leading, the leading through his word. The leading by just knowing God, you know. Because you have the mind of Christ. The leading through the word, just reading his word and applying it. And then, of course, there's that precious leading of the Holy Spirit. By influence or impulse or by that still small voice that will lead you into things. It makes you powerful. You know that we don't have healing resident in us. We don't have prophetic words resident in us. It all comes from the Spirit. Our modus operandi is exactly the same as Jesus. I can only say what I see my father doing and repeat what I hear him saying. I can, that's all I can do. Other than that, I have no power. Is that okay? If he doesn't give me a prophetic word, I don't have any. If he doesn't give me a word of knowledge, I don't have it. If he doesn't lead me through you know, the snares that people put out there for you, I would not have success. I'd be a constant victim, just like so many out in the world. I mean, they learn wisdom in life, but we have access to the Holy Spirit, and He can just speak a word into us, and we follow in obedience, and we walk into success. Is that okay? We walk into a place where, oh, my word, how did I get out of that? That's incredible. Come on. You know, the Holy Spirit, I mean, He makes us, he makes us look really good. He makes us appear cleverer than what we really are. <laughs> he makes us appear wiser than we really are. I mean, I've made some stupid decisions and stupid mistakes that hurt people, hurt this church. But thank God for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for his principles. And here we are all these years later. And you survived me. Yeah. And my lack of wisdom. God makes me look good. The leading of the Holy Spirit is so precious. So come on, church. As we come to a conclusion, as we come to an end, we need to know God and to love Him. And I'm going to just read this. I wasn't going to. I put it right at the end. The question that changed my life by David Reiser. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of teaching at a school of ministry. My students were hungry for God. And I was constantly searching for ways to challenge them to fall more in love with Jesus and to become voices for revival in the church. I came across a quote attributed to Reverend Sam Pascoe, and it's a short version of the history of Christianity, and it kind of goes like this. And I want you to really listen, because it's true about South Africa, just as much as for America. Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and became an institution. Oh, you know those Italians. Huh? 
It moved to Europe and became a culture. It came to America and became an enterprise. Some of the students were only 18 or 19 years old, and I wanted them to understand and appreciate the importance of this last line. So I clarified it by adding, you know, an enterprise is a business. After a few moments, Martha, the youngest student in the class, raised her hand. I acknowledged Martha's raised hand, and I said, yes, Martha. And she asked such a simple question. She said, a business? But isn't it supposed to be a body? Yes, I responded. She continued, but when a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? The room went dead silent. For several seconds, no one moved or spoke. We were stunned, afraid to make a sound because the presence of God had flooded into the room and that we knew we were on holy ground. God had taken over the class. Martha's question changed my life. For six months, I thought about her question at least once a day, every day. When a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? There's only one answer to a question, and the answer is yes. The American church tragically is heavily populated by people who do not love God. They don't know him. How can we love him if we don't know him? And I mean really know him. I stand by my statement that most American Christians do not know God, much less love him. The root of this condition originates in how we came to God. Most of us came to him because of what we were told he would do for us. We were promised that he would bless us in life and take us to heaven after death. We married him for his money, and we don't care whether he lives or dies as long as we get his stuff. We have made the kingdom of God into a business, merchandising his anointing. This should not be. We are commanded to love God and are called to be the bride of Christ. That's pretty intimate stuff. We are supposed to be his lovers. How can we love someone we don't even know? And if we do know someone, is that a guarantee that we truly love them? Are we lovers or prostitutes. I was pondering Martha's question again one day and considered the question, what is the difference between a lover and a prostitute? I realized that both do many of the same things, but a lover does what she does because she loves. A prostitute pretends to love, but only as long as you pay. Then I asked the question, what would happen if God stopped paying me? For the next several months, I allowed God to search me to uncover my motives for loving him and serving him, was I really a true lover of God? What would happen if he stopped blessing me? What if he never did another thing for me? Would I still love him? Please understand, I believe in the promises and the blessings of God. The issue is here is not whether he blesses his children. The issue is the condition of my heart. Why do I serve him? Are his blessings in my life the gifts of a loving father or are they a wage that I've earned or a bribe stroke payment to love him? Do I love God without any conditions? It took me several months to work through these questions, and even now, I wonder if my desire to love God is always matched by my attitude and behavior. I still catch myself being disappointed with God and angry that He has not met some perceived need in my life, and I suspect this is something which is never fully resolved, but I want more than anything else to be a true lover of God. So what is it going to be? Which are we, lover or prostitute? Some pretty powerful stuff. But I know that's not true yet. So, when we, to conclude, <laughs> to know him makes us powerful. To know him is to discover, more importantly, how wonderful he is. But it'll make us powerful. All the stuff that he says that we're to do, we will be able to do. God's presence with us. God's indwelling presence in us. You know, his nature, the fruit that comes out of that, living by his principles. It's principles that cause us to live godly lives and not denying the power thereof. And then lastly, his leading. Oh my goodness. You become so effective, so powerful. I think sometimes, because we push into that, and there's a, there's a lot of 
let me, let me tell you my own story. Um, there was a specific meeting that I was ministering at, and people started to refer to me as the prophet from South Africa, the prophet from South Africa, and things like this. And what I discovered that I started to press into the Lord for words of knowledge and prophetic, you know, prophetic words. And I'd go into the meeting, and there were such accurate prophetic words, such powerful words of knowledge. And then um, I would call out, for example, a condition. And everybody was stunned and, you know, blown away. I mean, I remember this one church, and when I went back the next time, I don't know how many dictaphones and recorders they had and piles of cassette tapes because the time that I was be- there before, I mean, the prophetic words of knowledge were astounding. The place was packed to the rafters this time. And yes, everybody, now they're going to record all these prophecies. But this particular time, and I prayed for quite a few people that I'd called out for healing, and to me, they were not obviously healed. They were not evidently healed. I remember going back so disturbed and troubled in my spirit, and I, I said to the Lord, yeah, but those words of knowledge were so accurate. Why, why were they not healed? And he said to me, you didn't have the power to heal them because all you sought was the accuracy of the gift. Sure. You know, we can push in for a gift because it makes us look good. You know, so when I pray now, I pray, God, give me the power. Anoint me for the healing of the sick. You know, whatever it is that you want. Because you can exploit one gift. You can keep pushing that door until it opens. You can excel in word of knowledge and prophetic. But you won't have any power to change people's lives. So listen to me. If we're not living this, you can come to prophetic courses and all those kind of things. You have to hear the voice of God and you can start hearing and you will hear because that's what you're pushing in for. But you don't have that. You'll have no impact. You can prophesy, but prophecy comes out of a life lived for him. And what makes that prophecy impactful is not the degree of accuracy. It's the degree of impartation that comes from you. I've said enough. Come on, give the Lord a hand for his word. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah. Did I say something that spoke to your heart this morning? Let's make it our determined purpose to know him better. I want to know him. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for these awesome people. Thank you for these power-filled people. Thank you for your present presence, your indwelling presence. Thank you that they participate in your divine nature. Thank you, Lord, increasingly more and more and more we're living by your principles. shaping godliness in us. Godliness is highly extolled in the Bible. Great men were referred to as godly men. We want to be godly men and godly women, principled. But Lord, we also want to thank you for the precious person of the Holy Spirit that just gives us an effectiveness for your kingdom, makes us powerful. Those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Those that know their God shall stand firm and resist Him. Father, I want to thank you for the success as we launch into 2022. And Father, I want to thank you as we do all of these things. You're going to grant success. Success. Lord, just once again, you, you, Lord, you know how heavily this weighs on my heart. Father, I pray somehow supernaturally you would break the slave master of debt over your people. The task master of owing and not being able to pay. Father, I'm praying for ACF for supernatural provision with the wisdom to start smashing debt and to become debt free in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm asking you, Lord, would you prosper us with your favor, first of all, with your wisdom, secondly, and then, Lord, provision, thirdly, that we can begin to work off debt and come into a place where we owe no man anything 
except the continuing debt to love. Father, it's so strong in my heart. And I pray that this will be a year of financial liberation. Lord, it'll be a year of increase. Father, I pray for that invasion of life and increase in ACF in this year. Every single person in this place in the name of Jesus. Father, I want to thank you that this will be a no depression zone, a no anxiety zone. Lord, I thank you that this will be a place of no sickness and death in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we say no parking here for the works of the devil in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you will continue to anoint us, that we can do good in power and heal all of those under the oppression of the devil in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray for the breaking of that spirit of poverty, Lord, over every person in the name of Jesus. Father, I'm reminded how millionaires and multi-millionaires came out of this church, this small church, through prophetic words. And I ask that you will continue to raise up principled people, Lord, in this church with ingenious ideas and plans and an anointing for entrepreneurship and business, raise up more millionaires for the kingdom in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that after this short series, four messages, that you would give us a heart to know you. Lord, we're not prostitutes. We're lovers of God. And Father, that we will grow more intimately deeply acquainted with you and the wonders are flowing from your being, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I bless you. I pray the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. That that which has been loaded up into the heavenly realms, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours. And may he grant that to you this year. And phenomenal success in the name of the Lord Jesus. So be blessed, be blessed, be blessed, be blessed, be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.